You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I am your host, Josh Rayley. Hope you are doing well this week. As we speak, I am sitting down in my uh, in my studio here and just got done with an entire day of honeydew chores. Uh, now, normally, I wouldn't be super excited about that, but I'm pumped about it today. Because I had a really, really productive day, got my work done pretty quick, uh, was able to move on to doing some things for the wife, which is going to set her up for success because I leave on Friday. So when you're listening to this, I'll be, you know, three days away from heading out for uh, my turkey hunt in Iowa, then making my way over to Wisconsin as soon as that Wisconsin tag is uh is uh is good as soon as season a or period a opens of the turkey season and man i can't wait i'm super pumped uh can't wait to get out of here so i'm gonna keep this uh intro really really short today because i'm going to jump off of here edit this show upload a bunch of other shows hopefully tonight get those knocked out and out of the way that way tomorrow i can turn my attention towards packing and all of that but uh yeah hey we do have a great episode in store for you today i was able to catch up with sam billhorn from Whitetail Partners again. Sam's been on the show a bunch of times, so if you haven't heard some of those previous episodes, you need to go back and check them out. I'll link those in the show notes of this episode so that you can go and check those out. We've done a bunch of really good episodes, but today we kind of talk about a an April Whitetail checklist for where you hunt. Now, that may look a little bit different from you. Maybe you're a guy that owns land. Maybe you're just leasing land. Maybe you're hunting that particular spot by permission only, or maybe you're hunting public. So we cover a lot of different things, though, that are relevant to any whitetail hunter. And I think most of us probably, if we're serious about deer hunting, we probably dream about having a place that we can have a little bit of control and a place that we can, you know, do a little bit when it comes to um, taking care of the habitat, improving our hunting through habitat manipulation and that kind of thing so if that's your thing that's what this episode is all about so you're going to want to hang around for that now before that episode though i do want to give a big shout out to the partners of this show uh guys these partners not only help me uh do this show week in and week out but they also help me do amazing trips like i'm about to do i'm leaving on friday i'll be gone for almost two weeks turkey hunting which is amazing to have that kind of flexibility and while I'm there, you better believe I'm going to have my Tacticams on hand. I'm going to have the 6.0 mounted on my shotgun. I'm going to have another 6.0 mounted on a bendy clamp. 
going to have my old 5.0 probably set up out in the decoys somewhere, which is going to be hopefully getting some pretty awesome footage of, uh, of a gobbler or two coming in during this trip. But guys, right now, Tacticam has an awesome sale going on. They've got what they're calling the ultimate turkey package. You can get a 6.0 camera, a barrel mount, and an extra battery for just 300 bucks. That means you're going to save $50 on that purchase. And I can personally vouch for the quality of their cameras and of their mounts and adapters. I love them. And I'm really excited. Actually, I just ordered uh, two more 6.0 cameras, how much I like them, and uh, should be getting those in tomorrow. So going to get those bad boys in, get the cards in them, get them formatted, get them charged up and i should have an entire fleet of cameras going up to iowa and then on to wisconsin with me so go check out their products tacticam.com grab yourself the ultimate turkey package today next up huntworth i'm going to be wearing the tarnin pattern on into my hunt in iowa and uh you know so far i've tried out the the tarnin pattern in let's see wisconsin i've hunted georgia i've hunted alabama now I'm going to hunt Iowa with that pattern, but Iowa in the spring, not in the fall. Then I'll be hunting Wisconsin in the spring. Guys, anywhere that I've been, this tarnum pattern has performed super, super well. I love it. Looks like we're going to have some fantastic, fantastic weather uh, highs up around that, you know, 60 to 70 degree mark, which is going to be awesome. That means I'm going to be rocking the Durham lightweight pants. If you haven't grabbed a pair of those already, guys, you really, really need to. They've got a little bit of stretch to them, but they're also durable. They have reinforced knees, a reinforced seat, which is great for turkey hunting. They're also great for saddle hunting. So if you're looking for some good early season saddle pants, I highly recommend these Durham lightweight pants. You can learn more about Huntworth and all of their gear at huntworthgear.com. And then finally, the Onyx Hunt app. Guys, this trip that I'm going on to Iowa was such a last minute thing that I have leaned super, super hard on uh, on my Onyx. So if you don't know how it went, I got, a, I got a text from Pierce and Pierce was like, hey, you grabbing one of those leftover Iowa tags? And I'm like, hey, I didn't know there were Iowa tags left over. So I get to looking, 22 Iowa tags left over for this zone that I would really like to turkey hunt in. Get online, grab a tag, now I gotta think. Where am I going to go? I've never even been in the state of Iowa. Like I've I've never gone into Iowa before, at least that I that I'm aware of right now. I've certainly never hunted in Iowa. Only have a couple of weeks. Immediately I jump on. I'm like, okay, where am I camping? I know somebody here. Boom, going to camp right there at this spot. All right, going to make a 10 mile radius around that. Are there public lands within that 10 mile radius? Yes, there are public lands. Awesome. Start scouting some of those public lands. All right, this one looks great. This one looks awesome. This one would be cool for duck hunting, but not going to be good for what I'm doing. So now I've got like 12 to 15 different spots that I want to check out. I almost have too many places, but I went from zero experience or knowledge in Iowa to totally ready for this trip, just ready to get boots on the ground in a matter of about a week because of the Onyx Hunt app and the work that I was able to do, because it has features like that radius where I can make a 10 mile radius around my camp, because it shows me public and private land boundaries, because it shows me things that aren't just large WMAs, but also shows me county properties that are possibly open to hunting. So because of Onyx, I am totally ready to go, ready to get boots on the ground and have an excellent hunt in a very, very short amount of time. So if it can do that for me in a week, Imagine what you can do with it when you've got all year to prepare. If you're not already using Onyx, you can get a seven-day free trial. Just head over to the app store of your choice and search Onyx Hunt 
head to their website if you have questions, onyxmaps.com. Now here's my request to you. Number one, if you would, please go support the brands that support this show. I could not do this every week if it wasn't for you guys as the listeners and these brands that have chosen to get behind what we're doing here at the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. So, hey, it'd be great if you'd go go hook those sponsors up. Next, if you haven't already, please do uh, like, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff, wherever it is that you get this podcast. If you could leave me a review, that would be greatly appreciated. Helps others find this podcast, helps me move up in the rankings if I can get new subscriptions as well as new ratings. And last but not least, if you want to follow along with my turkey hunt here over the next couple of weeks, I'll be doing something similar to uh, what I did for deer hunting this past fall, except I'll probably be a little more uh, loose and free, let's say with uh, with the camera you notice this past fall uh when i was deer hunting i kind of kept the the camera pointed at me when i was doing updates i wasn't giving you a lot of uh landscape stuff and that that was kind of intentional several people were figuring out where i was hunting the place where i was hunting was even more crowded than ever before this year uh not saying that that's because of me but just saying hey i don't want to draw any more attention to this place I'm going to Iowa. I'm going to be bouncing around to a lot of different public pieces. It's a lot more of a rural area, so I'm not quite as concerned about drawing attention to it. And hey, it's spring turkey. It's not quite deer hunting. So uh, yeah, anyway, but if you want to keep up with what I'm doing, head over, follow me on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at how to hunt deer. Now with all that out of the way, let's jump right into the conversation. Talking the April whitetail checklist with Sam Billhorn. Once again on the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast, it's Sam Billhorn from Whitetail Partners. Sam, how's it going? Hey, great, Josh. Good to be back. Yeah, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, it's been a couple months since we talked last. When When's the last time you were on? Was it January? I don't know. It was probably the dead of winter. It's so been a little things, while. Things have changed a little bit. Have yep. you uh, dug yourself out of the snow yet? Uh, thankfully, well, I never say the snow is over till we hit June, but it's uh, <laughs> the, the snow is currently gone and we've been having thunderstorms, so it's uh, spring is on the way. Yeah, yeah. You been, Have you been uh, staying busy on your own property getting some work done or... Has this uh, consulting season swamped you? Well, I've both. I mean, I'm working hard to, to accomplish both of this. Consulting schedule has been busy. Um, I've actually transitioned a little bit into hiring some help and uh, having some people that I work with closely on the land management side that uh, I work with my other with my clients, actually having them do work on my property as well. And that's that's been a good move. You know, it's uh, kind of in a position of life here between family and, and work and all these things that uh, time is my most limited resource. So getting some help, uh, is well worth the investment. And, and, uh, I tell my clients that, so I got to tell myself that. Yeah, that's right. I was, I had, uh, Lee Dixon on the how to hunt deer Mm -hmm. podcast the other day. And one of the things that we were talking about is, you know, how, uh, it's kind of like you drive past a, a, a guy's house. Let's say he's a, um, you know, he, he's a, he's a landscape guy for a, for a living. And you drive mm-hmm. by his house and he hasn't cut his grass in three weeks. You know, it, it's, That's right. it's kind of what it can turn into if you're not careful doing habitat consulting and, and, and property management. Because, mm-hmm. man, you are so busy on other people's properties, making them, you know, getting them in the chips and getting getting them squared away. Yes. And your is, work so can fall to the wayside. So, mm-hmm. um, well, man, I hope you've got some some time carved out for that coming up in, in the days and weeks ahead. But and let's let's talk about some interesting developments with Whitetail Partners. Uh, this mm-hmm. year was kind of your first year um, not flying solo, so to speak, as far as 
Whitetail Partners as a brand. You you brought a team of people around you. I'm included in, in as mm-hmm. part of the the team from Georgia. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that has gone, what the response has been, and um, I have a feeling you guys have learned a few things. Well, we sure have, and we, we you could speak to that as well. But uh, just uh, give a little history in case of those maybe we talked about it in our last podcast, but to just to give a little update. So, you know, in the last year, let's put ourselves maybe a year ago, you know, looking at the landscape of things and seeing that um, one of the best ways we can serve people is to have regional experts, not just from a, you know, a operational standpoint to being closer to people, but also understanding the local environment, the local, uh, you know, habitats, and also hunting season, culture, people, uh, all these things, you know, it's very different across the country. And while whitetails act very similarly, and I've consulted in, I don't know, I think it's been 14 or 16 states now, it's, it's uh, important to have local knowledge. And as I've been doing this for several years now, uh, thankfully, I've had built up some great relationships with folks doing similar things across the country. We got Jake in Michigan, Greg in Ohio, yourself uh, in Georgia, and and Lee in Tennessee. We looked and we talked about this a lot as a group, uh, saying that this is a great opportunity we have to team up and work together under uh, the flagship here of Whitetail Partners and, and having one brand to go out and serve people in consulting, in managing properties, and all the things that we do. So uh, it's it's been a great startup. Uh, everybody is uh, really you know getting uh, dug in in their spot and and you know learning a lot about how we work together and forming a team and all these things. But I think it's been a it's been a great success as we get going. And also, you know, looking at the number of people we serve, we should add that up. And the states we've covered, it's a pretty good long list. And uh, I'm excited to see uh, the momentum gain here uh, as we move forward. You know, we'll see if we want to continue to cover what we have with our guys or maybe we uh, expand our team. We'll, we'll figure that out in time. So it's going great. Uh, certainly learning a lot. But um, I can say without a doubt, it's been a good move because, you know, the combined knowledge of all of us here and you know, we got some fun things coming up with uh, YouTube and podcast and, and some of these other things to help people dissect their properties and, and show ourselves a little bit more in those formats. Uh, there's the combined knowledge of our group. It's going to be fun to, to show that and uh, see what that can do. Yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to that as well. And I think that's one of the things that that sets Whitetail Partners apart is and, I, and it's been the case since I was just keeping up with you on Instagram the the educational element the bringing value to people you know beyond the um you know boots on the ground or beyond the delivery of a plan you're delivering value to to landowners in in general you know if somebody Mm -hmm. just doesn't have uh let's say the funds to bring somebody out or have a consultant they can go look at your instagram page and learn a whole lot just from all the many articles that you've posted there yeah thanks and and the website too is really becoming a a hub for that. We have uh, what's called our learning center on the website, which we're posting all these articles, you know, short articles, longer articles, uh, video, you know, we got a pile of podcasts out there now. I don't know, 15 or 20 podcasts we got out there and just the, uh, you know, the amount of information we're putting out there, that's our goal. We want to serve people. Uh, We want to put this information out there and, and we want them to know us. And if they need our individual help on their properties, 
we're there if they need it. You know, we, we know that the more people we can reach and make aware of the content we have, we're going to help them. And that's our goal. If they want to hire us, great. That's a, that's a, you know, our goal as well, but you know, people can certainly learn plenty out there uh, for free uh, on our website. Yep. So Sam, there, there are two questions that I want to ask you here about what you've learned. And I think about them from two different directions. The first is from an entrepreneurial perspective, because um, before starting this podcast, I was never like an entrepreneurial kind of person. Like I was never the type to let's, let's start something from scratch. I always wanted to find something stable and just like find where I fit in on that thing. Mm -hmm. And obviously the last two years have been anything but that for me, as I've taken more and more steps away from the stable and comfortable and out into kind of an entrepreneurial space. And then the second is related to habitat and land management and, and property design and things like that. So the first question, what have you learned when it comes to the entrepreneurial side of things uh, as far as bringing this team on? Like what has it taught you to go through this process uh, as a team leader and as a manager and as the, mm-hmm. the guy that we look to as the glue that kind of holds everything together? Well, one of the things that I am thankful for constantly is the diverse skill set that our team has. You know, I look at the different things that we need to make this grow and be successful. And it's, we aren't going to get all those skills from one person. I certainly didn't have them. Um, But as I look around and see all these things that, that these, you know, resources and talents, skills and experience that people have, I'm excited because whether it's podcasting yourself with yourself or, you know, drones and a website with Greg, or, you know, I could go on and on of the skill sets of these guys, you know, Jake with his YouTube and things like this. Uh, the It's exciting to see all these uh, experiences that people have. And then also, you know, it ties back to what we were saying before, the, the regional understanding of things, we're pulling that knowledge together to have a more comprehensive coverage and experience for uh, the people we're trying to help. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So let, let's talk maybe about what you've learned from a specific to uh, designs and properties. Like, have you picked up anything as a consultant over the last few months as a result of adding this team? And, or, or has it maybe just solidified something for you? Well, I learned it gets greener earlier in the South than oh, it does in the North. That's, Sam, uh, that's one thing that that's awareness that I have. 85 plus here today. It's going to be over 85 degrees. I'm taking my kids to a beach today, Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, we're, we're still searching for some green grass here, but uh, <laughs> it's all good. Well, but, but to that end, I mean, as you've seen, we, and the, and the national brand of Whitetail Partners, as we uh, transition into content that hits all of those things. You know, we're addressing what it's like in the South right now. We're addressing what it's like in the North and, and trying to explain what is uh, applicable to people. And, and obviously people need to understand where they are and, and that, you know, what somebody's saying that's, you know, 600 miles North is going to be very different, you know, but it's, it's anyway, my point in all of this is just saying is, I, I think having those, the awareness of the differences across the country have been great. So that, that's certainly one thing with the team. Um, also, uh, just uh, knowledge of design, knowledge of properties. Uh, I think we're accelerating uh, our knowledge base by having these experiences and seeing how people do things. I think one of the um, 
as it always is, if you are so focused on one idea, um, you will not always have the best idea. And I think that that's something we see as a team as we learn and, and ta- discuss plans. And we will, you know, we'll vet plans across our group to say, hey, do you, you know, what do you think of this? Well, you know, this is how I'm approaching this solution. I mean, there's, there's multiple ways to solve a problem. And I think that as we see how each other uh, dissect something and learn, learn from something as we review each other's plans and things like that, I, I just think that that's leading to a much better product uh, for the client in the end. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good point. And, you know, there are, some, there are some consistencies, right? And we've worked to make sure that there are in the way that we approach designing a property. Right. Um, because that's what makes us Whitetail Partners, right? Like that's one of those kind of core elements. That's right. That's who there we are. There is a process to everything we're doing, and that's, that's vital. We, that's we right. We need to be consistent so that when somebody comes to us, we, they know they're going to get a high-quality product. And, and that was one of the things we started with is process and format and experience being top-notch for anybody coming in. Uh, but, yeah, that, then, then the artistic element within that obviously uh, varies from uh, guy to guy. That's right. It, there's, there's an art and a science to it. The science part, right. we're all on the same exact page. When it comes to the art of how some of the principles flesh out on a specific property. Mm-hmm. It's going to look different, not only from guy to guy, but from property to property. I mean, Sam, you're not going to approach two properties the exact same way when oh, it yeah. comes to the art and creativity side of, of designing that piece. One of the things that I have learned, I mentioned it in the podcast with Lee. I've mentioned it in some other podcasts before. Uh, and maybe it, I haven't learned it necessarily, but it's just reinforced it for me is Dear do dear things, no matter where you are. Like that's right. Dear just do dear things. They they behave in in somewhat predictable ways. I was I was working with a client, uh, and one of the things he said was, "Hey, I told my buddy about what we're doing here," and my buddy says, "Well, you can't make a deer do what it doesn't want to do. You you can't make a deer do anything. Why do you have this guy coming out to help you with your property?" And, and I just explained, man, your friend is exactly right. We can't make a deer do what he doesn't want to do. We're not tying it to a tree uh, so that you can come out here and shoot it during bow season. What we can do, though, is to make certain routes, certain bedding locations, certain feeding locations, the absolute best option that that deer has, right? Like we can, we can make the bedding in the absolute most prime location for him and for us. We can make that travel route the best way for him to get from point A to point B. We can make that food the best food in the neighborhood or the most food in the neighborhood or whatever it is we're trying to accomplish with that specific food plot. Mm-hmm. And when you start piecing those influencers together, deer can become pretty predictable. We can't force them to do anything, but we can certainly encourage them to do, to do certain things. So I was back out. Uh, we did some implementation on this, on this specific property. I went back out to the property, kind of doing a checkup, looking at, uh, and we're, I think we're two and a half weeks after we cut in bedding and after we cut in some travel corridors. And so first of all, we're hanging one stand and a deer approaches exactly where it's supposed to come from while we're hanging the stand. We go to another travel route. It's beat down to the dirt. The deer are already using this travel route. They've abandoned other trails that were similar. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we get up to the bedding and we are, I don't know, 80 yards from the bedding or so. And we're talking loud. We're figuring out where we're going to put a mock scrape in a water hole. And we hear a deer get up and run off 
from the betting that we just cut in two and a half weeks mm-hmm. ago. So just, mm-hmm. just confirmed over and over and over again, these deer do deer things. When you give them the right pieces of the puzzle, they're going to put it together. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. No, I'm sitting here nodding and, and just agreeing. It's absolutely the case, which is why there are consistent design uh, traits or design philosophies that we have that you're going to need to incorporate this to develop uh, a predictable pattern. And then you develop a way to hunt it without disturbing it. And that's a plan, you know, yep. that in the, the core essence of what we're doing, it's finding the predictable things, making them better or uh, more defined and hunting them wisely. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Absolutely. You make it simple. So Sam, as, as, as you say that, as I think through, you know, the, the pieces of a plan or, or the, the, the philosophy that goes into it all, what are, are there any pieces that when you're working with clients, are there any common hangups where they're like, ah, this part right here, or, or I'm not a big fan of, or that you just see as an obstacle where, where they're, it, it almost becomes person management as much as it becomes habitat management, right? Like it becomes, oh, yeah. it becomes getting them to hunt it appropriately and helping them to be maybe patient when they need to be patient or aggressive when they should be aggressive. Are there any consistent things that you see that pop up when you're working with a client where it's like, man, this, this is a hard one for people to swallow, but I need them to go here with me. I need them to trust me on this because it will pay dividends. One for sure. I two come to mind. The first one that's just glaring is access. We talk about this. I mean, so many conversations start with hunter access. How are you getting to the stand? So when I ask people, you know, can you come in from this side and you know, can you get permission from that neighbor to enter that corner of the property? And they say, yeah, you know, I probably could. I'm like, and it's like, it, it has never once occurred to them to enter their property from a neighboring parcel uh, to get at a hunting setup. But when they see it, they go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And they, they, they latch onto it and understand it. So I guess it's awareness and some of those things and access is certainly a big factor of that. You touched on it too when you said aggressive or conservative on how they're hunting their setups and things like that. But the other thing too, I would that, that comes to mind is uh, all about food plots and how they hunt them. There's so mm. there, I would say, I don't know, it might be a hundred percent. You go to these <laughs> properties, and, yeah, right. I know what you know where pro- you're going. You go to these properties that have, you know, they they got food plots. They they've been trying their hand at it. They you know, mowed down the football field square parking, you know, parking lot type uh, food plot. And they got stuff growing in it. And there are three tree stands on the perimeter of this, this plot. There are, there's a blind in the middle of it, all these things where they hunt uh, in a way that is so invasive to that attraction. And in, in the first week of the season, they screw up those patterns because they're out there disturbing those deer on that plot. And, uh, and, and being unsuccessful in it. And it just, then the dominoes start falling of how their property falls apart uh, over the course of a season. Um, and they're not successful and their neighbors are and all these things that, yeah, th- I guess those are two that come to mind, probably your common offenders. Um, and what do those both have in common? Hunting, hunting people, you know, it's, yeah. it's their, yep. their choices and how they do things. It has nothing to do with what the deer did. You know, and it is everything to do with mistake that the hunter made. Yep, absolutely. That's a that's a really, really good point. And I want to circle back <clears throat> just because I, I want to encourage somebody with this story maybe. Um, mm-hmm. 
on a property we were I, I had worked uh, up a plan and we had to eliminate one of the potential hunter access locations because uh, you know I said hey is there any way we can get permission uh, from this neighbor neighboring landowner here any way we can get permission to access from this corner because if we can that transforms everything like that changes a mm-hmm. ton uh, no I can't, I can't it will not happen that's an adversarial relationship with the previous owner it's never going to go well um just so happened though we were out marking the uh, property boundary because one of the things we were doing and working on was posting uh, yeah. this specific property and we get over there and the guy is out on his tractor <clears throat> so i give a good wave and he gives a good wave back, and I think, well, this looks more inviting than adversarial. So we walk over there. We start talking to the guy. Within five minutes, we've not only got his phone number and are working with him on some of the trespassing issues that we've had, we've got permission to access the property from that location <laughs> that we didn't even ask for. He simply said, oh, you've got this much acreage? Well, if you need to come in from this direction anytime, just let me know. You know, you mm-hmm. can park your car right there and you can walk up the hill and do whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. So just an encouragement to people, it, it may feel uncomfortable. That may be one of those things that pushes you further than, uh, than maybe you're comfortable doing, but it's certainly worth it. And it's almost never as bad as, as you think it's going to be. I mean, the, the thought behind that one was we'll never be able to get access over there. Mm-hmm. And then we got it without even asking for it. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, hits on those things, you, you know, your, your success rate is a lot higher than you might think. And, and that That's just right. emphasizes it. But I have a, a buddy of mine that um, hunts a lot of permission properties in the area and he has permission in so many different locations and people ask him, well, how do you do that? And he's just like, I asked, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> that, that's right. That's it. That's, that's right. It. I just, that's simple. And they, they just aren't asking. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Well, Sam, let, let's transition a little bit here. It is uh, no, April um, 5th, I think, as we're recording this. Is that correct? Sounds right. So here we are at the beginning of April. I want to do a check-in on your property checklist, ask the question what guys can be doing right now. Um, maybe you can just kind of run me through the list a little bit. And I was looking over it earlier. There are a couple of pretty specific questions I want to ask, you know, when it comes to some of the cutting, when it comes to some of the plantings. Um, spe- specifically of bare root trees. I think that's something mm-hmm. maybe not a lot of guys have given a shot to, especially, you know, when I talk with landowners and, and there's kind of that shock factor of like, oh, trees are really expensive. It's like, well, not if you're buying, not necessarily if you're buying bare root trees. If you're buying the big trees in a big pot, like those can be really, really pricey. That's real uh, money. But if you change the way that you're, you know, per- purchasing your trees, buying your trees, then, uh, then you can save yourself a lot. So let's start at the top of that list. Uh, remind me what's there. I think it's cutting first, right? Yeah. So I, I always uh, look at this time of year and say, this is the, it's the last call to get your timber work done. Um, it, things are already green down by uh, you in the South. And, uh, but we still have a, at least a, a month here before the time runs out and leaves are really popping. But um, getting in there to do your, if you have any, any type of cutting. So these could be bedding areas. It could be, um, doing some timber stand improvement. It could be doing corridors, you, you know, the list goes on and the details thereof, uh, you know, quite a bit we can talk about with that, but 
this is the time to get that done. I also like to emphasize to people, you know, if you want to be adding a stand this year or you have stands to get done, you want to pick those trees and mark, you know, even if you don't cut them down, mark the trees you want to cut for shooting lanes or stuff like that, because you want to look now, you don't want to be looking when it's after green up and it's just a jungle out there and making poor decisions on over, you know, over clearing a shooting lane, for example, that's a very common mistake is if you're in there in the middle of summer hanging stands and you didn't take a look at it before uh, that time, it's likely you're going to want to cut more down than you should. So uh, getting all that timber work done, this is really kind of the uh, key time to do it. And for those of us who've had a lot of snow, there's still snow in northern Wisconsin, for example. Um, you know, as that snow melts, it's really an optimal time to move quickly across your property. It's, it's so difficult with heavy snow on the ground to move around and do work. But the second that's all melted and gone, the ground dries a little bit, you can really move and be productive with your time to get that done. So that, that's number one on the list here in the early spring. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game-changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. I want to stop you on that point of, of cutting shooting lanes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, obviously things will, will grow back in a little bit when, you know, throughout the spring and summer. When it comes to cutting lanes, though, there's such a temptation that I have found to cut not a, not a shooting lane or a window, but to cut like a shooting roadway. Or, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's, it's, it's all the way to the ground, you know, all the way out to where they think their shot opportunity is going to be. Tell me a little bit about how you sort of maybe persuade or talk to your clients about cutting shooting windows or opportunities in such a way that aren't going to result in you getting busted because there's nothing worse than having a great stand set up. And as soon as that deer steps out into the lane, there's zero cover between you and him and it's over before you get your shot. Sure. Well, most, if not all setups, I've struggled to think of any that don't have a mock scrape on them. Um, and that's a, that's a key uh, starting point. And then a certain percentage, let's say maybe a third of them might have a water hole at them. Uh, both of those are ideal you know, focal points. You're going to design your primary shooting lane around that. And when I say lane, I'm talking enough space on either side of that to get a shot. In general, I would say, you know, I need six feet either side of that uh, uh, element to make that shot. Um, and and I've told stories of this before, you know, the deer that are on the wall behind me, the, it, the, uh, the testament to that is these, 
uh, shooting opportunities, I might see a deer coming in on a corridor. And I, even if I have a secondary lane that they're passing through, I'm not trying to stop them. I'm not doing anything. I am waiting for them to come to that point because between a water hole or a mock scrape at the times of year that we're hunting, the probability of them hitting that one of the, one or of the two or both is so high that I have a lot of confidence in that spot. So I'm going to start by having one primary shooting lane to a mock scrape and or water hole uh, that, that is going to be my shot opportunity. I will have sometimes a secondary lane. I mean, several of my setups only have one. I am banking on that opportunity and I feel highly confident in it. But some will have a secondary where it's a, you know, that last chance opportunity where they blew right by a mock scrape or something like that. And, and you have an opportunity to stop them or get aggressive and, uh, you know, try and get that deer to stop that you might have that opportunity. And that's going to be, you know, at your 10 and two or nine and three type windows. Um, as far as where that location is, all of my stand setups, thankfully we're all right-handed in, in my, our hunting group. We have them all set in such a way that, you know, we have the ideal, um, sit, uh, sitting position with that shooting lane. That's how we pick the tree. That's how we have the setup that it's either straight away or, you know, slightly to our left. That's the way we like it. We have, you know, we're hanging in bigger trees. So we're not worried about having to be behind that tree or to the side or some of these things you might do with a mobile setup. But anyway, maybe more than what you wanted to hear there, but those are the details that we look for in a setup and how all of mine are made. No, that's exactly what I was looking for because I feel like there's there's often a temptation to, hey, I found this really great spot, but I want to see to shoot in it, so I'm going to come in and clear out everything. Yeah, Deer you know? 360. Yeah, exactly, Deer yeah. 360. And then all of a sudden, uh, what happens is what made that spot great is now gone, <laughs> namely mm-hmm. the cover. So you've you've essentially pushed the deer in one direction or the other by creating this big swath of mm-hmm. of no cover or you're just going to get busted when they pop out you know wherever in, into one of your many shooting lanes where there's nothing nothing between you and them but also mm-hmm. nothing to hold their attention for for the right. moment so I, I want to talk to you a little bit about the mock scrape piece we've hit on it before but i think right now is a really 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 good time to get those mock scrapes going uh it's an mm-hmm. opportune time to get them kind of um get them hanging, get the deer used to them, acclimated to them um, well ahead of summertime and bucks beginning to, you know, shift areas or, or, or anything like that. What are you doing to make sure these mock scrapes get hit? Because you've got a really, really high success rate. I imagine you must be buying some really expensive, good pee from Walmart in the hunting aisle. Nope, just my morning coffee. That's all <laughs> that they get. <laughs> Uh, no, but to that end, I mean, quick highlights on those, you know, we're, we're, we are generally, we have a lot of vines. Um, and what I like about vines, not just that they're talked about a lot, but the, the reason they're good is they're very, they're fibrous. You know, there's a lot of fiber and texture and a lot of place to leave scent. Uh, pe- ropes are popular. People hang ropes and then you can buy all these different products to, to, to do that and emulate that. You want something that has a lot of texture because that they leave scent there. They're they're rubbing their scent on this throughout the season, and um, yeah, that's what it's all about. And then, so a chunk of vine that's uh, four to five feet long, three quarters of an inch to an inch and a quarter. You know that about that uh, size and, and the, the length and and 
width there, what that's all about is having it be have enough weight that they can press against it without flicking it all around. It's not too narrow because uh, something some, uh, uh, has less uh, uh, girth than that is going to be uh, fragile and, and break. I've seen that happen too. If you get bigger than that, they're too heavy. It's like a log hanging in a tree. So it's kind of that sweet spot in between. Uh, hanging that down at uh, belt height, the bottom of it, so that it's, um, you know, the does and fawns can still reach it, but the middle of it, the bucks are going to hit, and really that maximizes the amount of deer that hit that thing and leave scent on it. Um, one of the mistakes I see people make frequently is trying to locate that somewhere that's off of the corridor because they didn't have a tree on the middle of that spot they wanted to. People always look up and say, where am I going to hang this from? Well, if you do a little bit more thinking on that and hang a piece of paracord, you know, parallel to the ground from one tree to another, usually within a reasonable distance, you can find two trees that puts that parallel paracord uh, at about 10 feet high between two trees. And then that, that will cross your corridor where you want it to. And then that creates a spot where you put a suspension cable, I call it, but a, a piece of paracord from that 10 foot height down to what works out to be maybe eight feet, uh, eight or nine feet, just a short, a short distance. Uh, and then that lets that, um, that vine, that mock scrape or that, um, licking branch, I guess is what we should be calling it. Cause that's, you know, what's happening there. Um, to hang at that right height and, and be functional where we want it. So that, that helps us locate it exactly where we want it because we want this thing smack middle of the corridor that, that the deer trail that they're coming in on su such that they almost, they have to step around it because that just increases your frequency of use. Uh, the final thing worth mentioning here is uh, a flat piece of ground. Uh, all the scrapes that I see, very few of them occur on a slope. Um, they, I, I suggest making about a six by six area that's flat and, and your corridor may have some slope to it in either plane, either direction. And you can just take a shovel and work that ground around to get a flat spot at that location. Uh, just so when they step onto it, yeah, I'm not sure why that is, uh, just their habits. If the, if it's because when they urinate on the ground, they want that to concentrate there and not run off or they just like a level platform to be working their, uh, working that licking branch. You know, the, the, those are two of the things I, th I think that matter to them. But, um, you know, then that will, all those things, if you do those right, you'll have a successful uh, mock scrape in that location that you're looking for. So quick high level bullet points of what that mock scrape checklist would look like. Yeah, I, I think that's really good. You were the one of the first people that I heard say, I want that in the middle of the corridor so that they almost have to step around it. Like I want mm -hmm. them basically, if they just walk straight through, I want them to, I want it to hit them right in the face so that, and that yeah, that's your shot opportunity. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting on that moment cause it might only be a second. They might just nose it and that's all you're going to get. Yep. But that should be all you need if you're ready. Sure. Sure. So when it comes to, you know, a, a vine or a rope or something like that, have you seen a difference in the deer's response as opposed to, you know, if you find a tree with a suitable branch or you attach a branch to a tree, any difference mm -hmm. on, on the, the consistency with which they're picked up? Well, those can both be good. The, the uh, natural scrape, for example, you know, low-hanging branch, um, the trouble with those is setting it in a location. And if you do a, 
say like a T-post, you pound it next to your corridor and put a branch right there. That I haven't tried that. I would think that that would seem so unnatural to just have this branch located in a location that makes it more difficult. Um, if you have a tree, though, that's adjacent to your corridor, you can you hang one of those brackets that, that hangs a branch over it. That's certainly worth trying. The thing that I don't like about using branches with these brackets that are on the market or even just coming up with your own is that branch is going to be abused. It's going to get yeah. worked hard. It, a one buck can come in there and just tear it up or tear it down and it's gone. The uh, paracord setup that I talked about and having that suspension cable, a buck really can volley this thing all around. A couple times I've seen them uh, hook that, uh, that vine into their rack and they, they either tear it down or, um, you know, they might stretch it out or move it a little bit on that parallel line. You know, there, there's certainly ways that a deer can disturb that. But uh, my experience is, you know, the, the natural, even looking at natural scrapes, um, they're, you know, they're getting abused and getting worn and they do change over time because those branches get busted off and all that. Um, and also to locate it exactly where you wanted all those details we went before, went through before, that's, that's hard to accomplish when you're trying to create it yourself. Yeah. When it comes to a scrape in a field, let's say you're, you're setting up mm -hmm. a food plot, designing a, a food plot that's a little larger. You want to open up those some really great archery opportunities and you're going to put a mock scrape at a nice little social area in, in a food plot. How are you designing those there? Yeah. So that is where we uh, create a, what we call an open field scrape. Um, and that is the, the uh, had success with that in two ways. One is to uh, transplant, but really you're, you're not doing this with a live tree. You're cutting off a tree. Cedars work great, or even just any other tree. I have elms on my property that often have these branch structures that uh, come out at a nice angle. And simply, I, I'm going to go look for a four to six inch tree and cut it down uh, and dig a hole with a post hole and put it in the ground right at a uh, designated distance for me and my plots. I love to have them at like 25, maybe 30 yards um, from that hunting opportunity. Often it's a blind uh, with proper screening and that will uh, serve as a tree that you then can attach. I still use the vine and the paracord to take it from a branch and drop it down and have that be, uh, you know, it is, seemingly more unnatural, but they get hit really, really well. Yeah. The other the other way we've tried is uh, simply putting a landscaping post at the ground, like a landscaping timber uh, with a, a wood plate on top with some branches. And this is where we have used uh, actual branches, not, uh, um, not vines, and having those out at that elevation. They, that looks less natural, um, even more so, I think, but... Uh, it still works, but again, I think there's more maintenance and difficulty in maintaining those over time that um, makes me a little less or more apprehensive to, to use them. Sure, sure. Well, that's really good. I, this isn't a podcast on mock scrapes. I just had a lot of questions there. Uh, yeah, we get, get into the rabbit hole. We'll, we'll keep going. Yeah, so. well, it, it's really good, though, I think, because, yeah, the, the mock scrapes that I have been successful on as I've thought through them are typically the ones – that I've created earlier in the year. They've been the April, May timeframe as mm -hmm. opposed to the July, August. I've had a lot less success in July, August setting up mock scrapes. Not to say that 
they it can't be done. I'm just saying, like, success-wise, it looks like the earlier in the year I can get it there, the better. And I've even had mock scrapes that I set up July, August that didn't get picked up that year get picked up the following year because the yeah. structure is still there. It just took six or eight months before the first deer mm-hmm. hit it, and then after the first deer hit it, boom, it's it's on. Yeah, I'm usually doing those and and maintain going through you know seasonal ones too and maintaining them more in June, July, still early to your sure. point. Yep, um, and, and not in disagreement whatsoever. It's just April is just such a uh, sprint to get all these early oh, yeah. spring things done, um, which we can get back into now with you know some of the stuff with tree planting and all that. Yeah, so let's jump into the next part of your checklist. Well, right, I just said it there, tree planting, and and you'll hear me talk about bare root trees all the time. I love them. There's a lot of great suppliers out there, and to be clear, I'm not talking about your, you know, state or government agency supplied uh, seedlings that are, you know, six inches tall and might have three inches of root to them, and you put them in the ground with a hope and a prayer that a few <laughs> might survive. I'm, I'm talking sizable trees, okay? So uh, there are trees from the size I just described all the way up to four foot conifers that you put in the ground and they have, when I say bare roots, I'm talking a two or three foot root structure on the bottom of these things. You can go on the social media and see pictures of them uh, this time of year. If you go back in the post history, you'll see a pile of them. Um, And those trees, and, and, and we talk about cost, a tree like that might cost two to four dollars depending on the species these are not 40 50 hundred dollar trees um they are and let's talk about the work amount here they are still work to put in the ground you're not doing these with a little bar and sticking them in and you know stepping them down and five seconds later you've planted a tree it, it does take more work than that so you're you are digging a hole and putting the tree in um, you can still do these with planters if you're doing mass plantings. You know, they make spades to put these in and all that. But if you're doing these by hand, you're digging a, you know, maybe a five-gallon hole, putting uh, putting that tree in there and getting the roots uh, put down properly, put some water in and put it in. So, it, you know, with a couple of guys, you can still do a tr- about a tree a minute. You can move pretty good, but um, it, it does take time to do them. Um, and it's all in balance. So the other thing that I've come to like too are uh, doing even the smaller size trees, especially in timber areas where you're adding uh, conifers to um, hardwood bedding areas, for example, going and doing smaller trees because they will get uh, harassed a little bit less from the deer because they're less significant while they're while they're rooting, uh, and then hopefully they're going to be able to grow vigorously and overcome any of that abuse they might get from uh from deer in their their early years Uh, the other thing that uh i've been working with more recently are plugs these are if you picture the going to a garden center and buying uh, flowers that you put in the front yard uh, flower bed much like that they're a plug that you pull out of a conifer uh, that has a four to six inch little root ball on the bottom of it that you dig a small hole and put it in the ground. And those are, are really great. They have a strong uh, rooting and they, they're, they're, they get going right away. And they're also very quick to plant. So smaller bare root trees and plugs are excellent in those timber settings. And we're doing a whole lot more of them. Also in the timber, it's a numbers game. As I was talking about before with uh, 
you know, those trees getting harassed by deer, you need to uh, somehow overwhelm them with trees uh, because then, you know, you'll, you'll have, even if you have a lower survival rate in the uh, timber versus out in the open, I think you have a higher success rate. Uh, you, you know, you can, you can win the war, so to speak with, with numbers. So anyway, just some of the highlights of bare root trees, the things that we're doing. Um, and every year, you know, get back to the cost side of things, you know, we might put in, um, maybe 500 trees on our property annually, um, and, and just continue adding to them. I think we probably have, I don't know, three to 4,000 trees we've put in, um, over the course of, uh, the, the years we've owned it. And, we are continuing to hammer away at that, and uh, we just we're going to keep planting trees until we think we've done too many, um, and, and really just keep after it. So um, it's fun to watch them grow and start to take off. Um, the other thing worth mentioning too is I've talked a lot about conifers, but uh, fruit trees, hardwood trees, um, and uh, other things too. You can buy bare 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 root just about anything. You go on these supplier websites, you will see all kinds of stuff. Uh, that you can buy bare root these days, and it's an excellent option for developing habitat uh, on your whitetail property. Yeah, I'm curious, just real quick, I, I realize it's something that may be just kind of assumed, uh, but what's the reason for some of these trees? I mean, you've got separate species or a lot of different species that you like to plant. Maybe run me through yeah. a, a couple of the basics and mm-hmm. specifically why you're planting those kinds of trees on your landscape, because they're, they're not all there for the same reason. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome question. Uh, number one that uh, comes to mind is screening. So a lot of times you'll see these uh, roadside screens where you want to block off the view of the roadway perhaps, and it's your, your hunter access and all those things. So screening is often in long lines where you're doing a checkerboard of trees to um, develop a long-term screen. Annual screens and even perennial warm season grasses have their uh, downsides that, uh, really you can only overcome with a long-term conifer screen. Uh, so that's a, a high use for, for tree plantings. Um, others in moving into the uh, other open air, open area uh, locations like around food plots is softening those edges. So we might do some uh, edge feathering, taking trees down periodically around the sides of an open area and then just drizzling trees. I say plant them like a bird would plant them, you know, put them in a, in, you know, random areas along these edges. We're trying to develop edge habitat. So we're influencing the quality of that habitat around those edges, making them more inviting for deer to enter that area and then, you know, make it more comfortable to enter into a food plot. Uh, So that's another common space. In bedding areas, I mentioned that before, adding conifers into hardwood bedding. So you might have a a flat, a, uh, let's just pick, you know, take a stereotypical, a hardwood ridge that comes out onto a point or a flat where you have, maybe it's even south-facing, you know, these all these qualities we might look for in a bedding area. Getting that open up to sunlight, knocking some of the trees down, we could talk about how to do a cutting. Uh, we probably covered that before, but, you know, then supplementing conifer plantings into these, both for long-term cover uh, and also the thermal cover too, having different types of cover within a high quality bedding location is just going to allow it to be used uh, that much more. So um, really, I think you can plant, uh, talking again, just conifers here, I'll get to hardwoods in a second, but you can plant conifers in so many areas. It's just more about the uh, setup and the 
uh, regularity of planting. You know, even in large open switchgrass areas, we're we're dropping in, say, Norway spruces periodically, for example, just to break up that landscaping. And it might provide a bedding opportunity too that you may not get bedding in an open switch open area of switchgrass, but you put a few trees in there, and all of a sudden you created some really attractive places you might uh, bed deer. As far as hardwoods go, um, a lot of times it's supplemental. Uh, you know, you're trying to develop a species. You got to understand what's shade tolerant, what's not, and, and some of those things. By the way, a great reference there too, people want to look back is the whole series we did. It's both on the website and on social media of a forest built for deer. Talked about all these things. So, you know, you do a massive tree harvest and you can let what's there flush up and see what you get. Uh, or you can take, a, take control and, and try and influence the species you want to have on that landscaping uh, or on that landscape rather for uh, the future of your property. And that's a lot of times what we're, we're doing hardwoods for could get into all these other things, fruit trees, shrubs, and, and so on, the different uses for them. But um, you know, that's kind of a high level look. Yeah. And I want to point out too, you know, when it comes to a plan, uh, when you hand somebody their plan, not only do you have specific planting recommendations, you've also got a list there that's going to let them know, hey, for your property, shady areas, these are the trees to consider. Full sun right. areas, these are the trees to consider. So if you work with the landowner, you're not just saying, hey, go plant some trees, right? Like you're, yeah, you're giving right. them the specifics to be able to do what they uh, what they need to do for their property. All right, so that's that's good on the on the on the tree planting. What's the next one? Well, I just have a couple things here. I'll hit uh, quick succession. Um, frost seeding, obviously, if uh, depending on where you're at in the country, still taking advantage of those freeze-thaw cycles to incorporate your warm season grass, uh, making sure you've had a good prepared seed bed from last year or you'll struggle with that. Um, a lot of us, want to, we could talk a whole episode about running fire across the a property in the spring and and i know that that's something you're passionate about something in the uh, done a lot in the south and the yep. benefits that are there um you know as we talked about how properties are going to green up and, and flush up um I, I like to just say general cleanup you know this is an opportunity you got old trashy stands you got that uh you know debris that the former owner dumped in the field whatever those things might be to just clean up the landscape and improve it um you know for the next generation and get that stuff where it belongs. Um, I could go on here, just a couple more um, spraying. So that initial spraying, maybe you're trying to clear an area for uh, new planting. Uh, as soon as that green up does occur, getting that uh, first spraying done before it gets to be knee high is critical. Otherwise you're just gonna have a mess on your hands. Um, and then the final thing I just uh, wanna mention here on this, and, and there's more on the list, but uh, we talked about corridors in our, you know, in the cutting, creating corridors by uh, doing perpendicular cuts and, and directing deer. One of the things I've been doing more and more, especially recently, is emphasizing the quality of that trail itself. So I want somebody to picture, um, you know, a hillside trail that's, that's side hilling. It's maintaining the same elevation as it works around a hill. So, you know, picture... Picture running a topo line around a hill. And as we know in, in our experience of seeing properties and doing designs, deer want to follow a, an elevation as, as long as it's getting them to where they want to go. What makes it difficult sometimes in a trail, and a picture, again, the side hill trail, is, and this is even more important when you're creating a new corridor. 
that existing ground could be sloped. You know, and you're asking a deer to run against or with, yeah, not against the slope, but with that side hill, you know, so that as the profile is, as you look at that trail, it might be sloping from left down to right. Let's just to try and give a visual. And the simple act of going in there and uh, we, we like to do this in teams with multiple people because it can be kind of a drudgery for one person, but it is shovels, picks, rakes, just going down that trail and pulling a little bit of soil out and creating just the slightest bit of flat area. And I'm talking, this can be 10 inches, 12, one foot would be plenty wide where all you're doing is just creating this little bit of a flat as it works across that side hill. And then even more important is if you're asking that deer to gain elevation, if you're asking him to move up a slope, like you're trying to get, you got him to come around the side hill and now you want him to climb a little bit to maybe, let's say, go around a cutting, uh, go, you know, try to pinch him to, a, you know, get him to a pinch point. If you're asking a deer to go uphill, especially if it has some of that cross slope to it, knocking down that cross slope ever so slightly so that that deer has, as they view it, more of a flat platform to walk on. And the, the test is simple. Walk it yourself. You walk it initially, you know, with you know, with the side hill elevation, it's, it's more difficult. Once you cut this little shelf out, and it's tiny, it's just enough to walk on, uh, on this corridor, and then walk it, you, you, you'll see instantly that this is a walking trail now. This is a trail that's easy to traverse, and the deer will use it. Yeah, man, that's really, really good. Any, anything else on, oh, real quick. So you're yeah. you're kind of digging into the uphill side, correct? That's right. If you, okay. if you want to picture the cross section of this, you are taking one shovel and pulling it downhill ever so slightly. Basically, what the first guy that goes out ahead can just be shoveling, and they're just turning over one shovel of dirt and keeping and working their way up the line. Pickaxe sometimes helps, especially if there's a root or something involved in this. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thing. thank you it's so much for perfect. tuning in. And the deer going to pound it show, down be and sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcast. That little bit While you're at it, if you can leave me a five-star review, uh, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow feel, along with my outdoor you know, so adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics. All right, anything else on the list? Are we wrapped up here for April? On the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tech Camp. We can go on. On, but, uh, Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking yeah, for absolutely. more great outdoor content, absolutely. check well, out Sam, man, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Find my other uh, podcast, tell folks where they can find more from you and the rest of us. As well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours. All of our social medias are Whitetail Partners, or excuse me, at Whitetail Partners in Wisconsin, Michigan. Ohio, Tennessee, Georgia. Um, you'll find us out there. Just go take a look and uh, appreciate being on here, Josh. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, Sam. Anytime.